Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The line has gone out through all the earth, and the works and the words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. He rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart and commanding, and I beg your pardon, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and then shall I be upright. I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The first verse and the last verse are familiar verses to you. And you've heard them, I probably can quote them well. Let me read the first six verses. You want to follow in whatever translation you have, but... Let me read it from the Good News Bible. It says this, How clearly the sky reveals God's glory. How plainly it shows what he has done. Each day announces to the following day, and each night repeats it to the next. No speech or words are used. No sound is heard. And yet their voice goes out to all the world and is heard to the ends of the earth. God made a home in the sky for the sun. It comes out in the morning like a happy bridegroom, like an athlete eager to run a race. It starts at one end of the sky and goes across the other. Nothing can, can hide from its heat. But I particularly wanted you to, to notice the first three or four verses. How clearly the sky reveals God's glory. Let's pause for just a moment of prayer. Lord, help us to see your glory as you reveal yourself to us, be it done in a mighty way, that our lives would be a reflection of the light that comes from you and will shine in this dark and sinful world to save souls that are lost. 
bless especially this night and the lives and the families of those who have serious illness. We pray, our Father, that you would be there this night. Be in our midst as well to bind us to you and to one another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to title tonight's message, What is God Like? I suppose that's one of the questions that we ask all the time. We wish we really could have, wish we could have answers to, and that is, what, what really is God like? And I know that when we're done this evening that we're not going to have concluded with, with that question and, and made too many answers, but I want to, to uh, comment at least in two different areas as to what God is like. First of all, I think we need to understand that the Bible does not even begin to try to prove that there is a God. There are some things that are self-evident in this world. And the one real thing that is self-evident above everything else is that there is a God. And everywhere we look and wherever we turn, we can find that evidence. And that's why I wanted to reread in the good news, particularly the first few verses, that the heavens, that is all that we can see about us, as well as the firmament, that is the earth, which we uh, deal with every day, all declare God. They all declare God. So there really is no need for us to set out to prove that there is a God and there is no group of people, as I've said in previous sermons, in the world but what have acknowledged that there is a God. This is self-evident. It comes from our own experience with life and with where we live and what we do. But still, in spite of this, people want to know what about God. Where is he? What is he? What's he like? And so on. Over in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And Philip finally said to Jesus, well, show us the Father. And we will be satisfied. The King James says it will suffice us. It suffices us, actually, is the words of it. But to put it in modern day terms, Show us the Father and we will be satisfied. No, we would not be satisfied. That's a false statement. Philip did not know what he was saying. We are not satisfied because the Father has been revealed over and over and over to us and we're never satisfied with the revelation that we have. It seems to be false revelation. It seems to be less than what we would like to have. And Jesus responded to, to Philip, I have shown you the Father. He that has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. So through Christ, there is the, the evidence, the, the personality of God is present, and which is one of the points that I want to make in just a moment. God has revealed himself all the way through the scriptures. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. John in 1.14 said, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So we can see the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you're going to set out to, to describe a person or to explain a person so that we can understand him, I think there are two things you're going to have to tell us about that individual. One, we're going to have to know about his personality, and secondly, we're going to have to know about his character. And it's on these two points that I want us to look as far as dealing with, with God this evening is concerned. If I would ask you to tell me about your God, what would you say? How would you describe your God? I'm sure we would come up with, with uh, some words, and we probably would do a lot of scratching our head and probably say, well, I can't describe him, and that's, that would be accurate. But all of us have some concept of our God that we surely ought to be able to describe him in some manner to somebody else who ask about him. If we are going to describe each other, we're going to have to tell us uh, somebody about our personality. So let's talk about God's personality. He has a personality. He is, I'm going to say, he is a person. Now I'm not saying that he is a human being, as you and I are human beings. But he is a personality, he is an individual. He has qualities about him that makes him distinct and separate from any other uh, object, any other person, any other living or dead thing or being in this world. God has some things about him that makes him distinct and separate from anybody else. Now, I'm going to say that God is not some things. You don't have to go very far until you will find somebody who thinks that God is nothing more than an abstract principle, an idea, a concept that you can't put your fingers on, you can't tie down. It's, it's some wild idea as to some force somewhere that created the world, and that's the other point. There are many people who think that God is nothing more than a force. Well, God is a force, all right, but God is certainly more than a force. I'm very disturbed with some of the movies I see that are put out for young people, some of the Star Wars movies and so on, when they come out with the phrase, may the force be with you. Where did they ever come up with that phrase? It's saying that there is no personality, no individual being called God. But I, the God that I know is a God that speaks. That takes a person to speak. He is a God that acts. He is a God that loves. He is a God that feels. He is a God that knows. He is a God that is knowable. This is not talking about some force, some indescribable principle. This type of language is describing an individual who has ideas and beliefs and thoughts and exerts those things into our lives. So God is a person in the terms of being an individual, a personality that has those attributes that we now have. Why do we think and feel and reason and, have, and, and love and hate and do all those things because they were put in us by the person who created us because he had them in him first. So we're a part like God because we have those things that 
that God is and instilled within us. And when, when God said, let us make man in our image, he wasn't just talking about making man in a physical form though to look like we look. He was talking about those things that really constitute us, a part of our, our being that gives us these capabilities of doing more than just living a physical life. Many people have never gotten away from, from thinking in terms of life is nothing more than physical. And if you think that life is nothing more than living this world from the day you were born until the day you die, and that's the end of it, there's going to be a tremendous shock someday for those people who think that when they discover that they're still alive and they did not die. You see, people do not die. People pass from this life into another life. But they do not die. The body ceases to live, but the person, which is the part that God instilled within an individual, continues to live. And so when our loved ones and friends, and when you and I come to that point, that we actually cease operating as a living human being, we should not think in terms that we have now ceased to exist because we've died. We have not died. We have simply transferred from one mode of living to another. And so God is a person that has all of these attributes about him. But God is also a spirit. John 4.24 says God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God does not talk to us in physical language. He talks to us in spiritual you see, the conversation that we have with God today is from the depths of our heart to his heart and his heart to our heart. Or if you want to put it in different terms, from his spirit to our spirit and our spirit in return to his. We commune with God through a like spirit because we are a part of what God has created. He is a spirit and those that worship him must do so in spirit. That is, with your spirit, with that living part of one's being, not with his body so much as with his soul or with his spirit. Now man has understood that somewhat. But down through the years, man has decided that God ought to be put in a form that they can see and handle and manipulate. And so down through the years, man began to make his images, his idols. That's why the children of Israel made the golden calf in the wilderness, in order that they could have a God that they could see, a God that they could touch, a God that they could, could get to do what they wanted to do. And certainly, if you created your God with your own hands, then your God would be inferior to you. And he would be responsible for doing what you wanted but you see, we cannot create God. And all they ended up doing was reducing their concept of God to the level where they lived. And so throughout all the Greek mythology that you read when you were in school, you found gods and goddesses and all that mythology that had the attributes of men who did the things that man do, who sinned like man sins who killed and murdered and married and, and, 
had children and did all the things that human beings do, what does this mean? It means that man has taken God and brought him down to their level. That's all. God is not God in my mind if, if he is no more than I. If he's not superior to you or superior to me, he certainly is not a God that I can worship. He is something far beyond anything that I know. Though he walks with me and talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And how does he tell me that? Because his spirit communicates with my spirit. Tells me that there's something special in the way that I'm created because I'm a part of him. There's one of the Psalms, Psalm uh, 4610, I believe it is, it says, Be still and know that I am God. You know why many people don't know God? because they are not willing to put themselves in a state of quietness long enough to hear him speak. This is only a speculation on my part, and so you can excuse me if I'm ignorant. I hope you'll excuse me. But I think one of the reasons that we like our radios and our television so loud is so that we can't hear God when he talks. Few people in today's world are willing to be quiet. I never understood when a teenager goes down the streets, and this happens in Logan every day, and when they go by, I go like this to tell the guy in the car, please turn that thing down, I don't want to listen to your music. He blasts it with his windows wide open, the radio to the, to the highest level that he can make it, to create a noise. And I wonder, as that young man or young woman does that, why must he be so bombarded with loudness? And I've come to the conclusion, and I may be wrong, so if you don't agree, that's fine. I've come to the conclusion that we are blasting our ears with noise because we don't want to be still, because God might speak to us and we hear him. Because he speaks in a still, small voice most of the time. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses, says one of our hymns. And he walks with me and he talks with me. With the radios blasting and the television loud. No, that's not in there. It's in the quietness of those times that God is there. And speaks in a still, small voice. His spirit to our spirit to tell us something about himself. Well, let's look at God's character. There's several things we can say about his character. Let me list them quickly. First of all, God is eternal. This is one thing about God that makes him different. God is eternal. That is, God never, there never was a time that God was not. Psalm 90 verse 2 says this. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. 
when Moses asked God who he was to say sent him back to Egypt to lead the Hebrew people out, God said to him, you tell him, I am sent you. I am. Why did he use that phrase? It's always been confusing. And I think the conclusion is, you cannot say I was or I will be if you always are. There is no terminology that fits God other than one that calls him to the present. It's always present. I am now. There is no past, there is no future in God's uh, concept because he always was in our thoughts and he always will be in our thoughts. But he doesn't say uh, was and will be. He says am. God is eternal. Secondly, I think we need to understand that God is holy. Isaiah 1.3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Holy. We talked about that a little bit this morning in the Sunday school class. And very appropriately so. There is something about God that sets him apart from anything else. And the thing that sets him apart is his absolute perfection. His holiness which dictates that we must act with uttermost reverence in his presence because he is something that man is not. He's perfect. He's pure. He's spotless. He is holy. Thirdly, God is omnipresent. Or let me say omnipotent first. God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. God is all-powerful, almighty. If God is not all-powerful, then he's not God. Any God that is not capable of doing all things is not God. There's a little hymn that sometimes our kids sing. I think they've sung it here. I, I have sort of forgotten. But it says this, God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. There is nothing beyond the capability of God, for he is all-powerful. And that's why he is God, because he is supreme in every way. Fourthly, God is omniscient, which means that he's all-wise. Psalm 139 says some very interesting words. The first few verses of it, it said, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassed my path, that is, you scrutinize my path. You search out my path and my lying down. And you're acquainted with all my ways. If we just comprehended that, that God is acquainted with everything about us, there is not anything that we can surprise him with. He is all wise to know us through and through. He goes on to say, There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. To paraphrase it, let me put it this way. You know, Lord, what I'm going to say before I ever say it. That's God. Sufficiently capable of understanding the end of things from the beginning. That's why he can prophesy throughout the Bible and it will always come true because he knows the end even before it has begun. So God is omniscient, all-wise. All Psalm 147.4 says that he even knows and names the stars by name. Every star in the universe has been named. 
In Matthew 10.30, we are told that God knows the numbers of hair on your head. Now, Danny, he's uh, reducing the numbers on yours. It's not so hard, or Donnie, either one of you, uh, to, for him to count yours, and mine's getting less every day. He knows the numbers. Think how, how exact how detailed God's wisdom is in his knowledge. He knows us to the point of telling us on a moment's notice how many hair on our head. Wow. Which simply says God knows us so completely there is not one thing about us that he is not fully aware of. Fifthly, God is omnipresent. There in Psalm 139 beginning at verse 7. When David says, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Omnipresent means that he is present everywhere. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto me. What's he saying? There's no escaping God. No escaping God. This is what Jonah wanted to do. He thought that he could leave the domain of God and go over to uh, an area of the world where God had no control. So he got on that boat and he decided to leave the presence of God only to discover that in the depths of the whale, in the depths of the Mediterranean Sea, there still God was. Where are we going to go from the presence of God? Well, one other thing let me say about God's character and that is that God is great. That's exactly what Psalm 86.10 says. God is great. Let me say three things about his greatness. Number one, God is great in that he created this world. Everything that is came as the result of the creation of God. Secondly, God is great in that he has the power to redeem the lost. It's only through the power of God that a person is saved. Not by what you and I might do. Thirdly, let me say that if God has the capability of creating this world... He has the power to redeem us, that is to save us, then I say he also has the power to keep us. And I think Paul was exactly right when he said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I fully believe that when a person is saved, he is eternally saved because he has put himself in the power of God and God is... uh, all-powerful. And do you think that there is a man anywhere who has the strength to will himself out of the presence of God? I think not. Two other things let me say quickly. What's the relationship that God has to this world? Well, first of all, I think we will recognize that he governs it. Sometimes some of the nations of this world... Uh, Russia and others have the idea that they are going to control the world and there is a movement going on now in the the world that uh, believes that they are superior to any any God. But let me tell you, and I'm sure you believe this, any question that God is still in control of this world. 
and its end is going to be according to his dictates. He will allow many things to happen, but when the chips are down, he's going to call the shots. Secondly, let me say this, that God both punishes and rewards. God punishes when we sin and God rewards for our righteousness. Some of our rewards will be given in this life and some of our rewards we will wait until we enter heaven before we get them. Likewise, some of the punishment that man suffers, he will suffer in this world and some of the punishment he will suffer in the world to come. And any person who is not a Christian will suffer the eternal damnation in hell because God is true to his word. He has never lied. That's another of the uh, principles that we could talk about God. He is absolutely truthful. What his word says he will do. And he says for the person who refuses and rejects his son as a redeemer, who died, the person who died on the cross will suffer the eternal damnation of hell. And this is absolutely true. But, right on the, the ending of that, we must also say that God offers forgiveness and will give salvation to all who will accept it. In John 3.16, that we all know so well, certainly applies. The future relationship of God to man, well, let's just conclude with these words. The day is going to come when man will give an account of himself to his God. We shall, as Romans 14.10 says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God to give an account of ourselves. There's not going to be a single person escape that judgment. Not one. No matter how little or how great the sin might have been, no matter how mighty upon earth or how insignificant the person may have been, all men, great and small, presidents down to the worst of slaves, will all stand before God to give an account of themselves before the judgment seat. There God will reward the faithful and he will punish the unbeliever. This is the God that I know. If you know another God than this, I cannot imagine how you might describe him as being superior to Jehovah and to his son Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.